cut out. This is Daniel Vale with uh, Daniel Vale's Years of 83 Weeks and Counting. Please check my latest episode that I'm that I've added to my account, where I talk about the first ever Starcade because of the in honor of Starcade from this past Sunday. Please listen to it fully and let me know in the comment section what you think. Thank you and goodbye. Hello, this is Daniel Vaughn. I've been podcasting for almost two years, and I just about a month ago found out how to submit, um, uh, manually submit my feed to Apple Podcasts. Well, anybody's getting into podcasting and wants Apple Podcasts, their show on Apple Podcasts, come here and use Anchor Podcasts. Hello, welcome to Daniel Vaughn's Views of Wrestling, no, Daniel Vaughn's WWE Network Review. Um, I was gonna do a mid at, uh, NWA Mid-Atlantic TV episode, um, discussion. But instead of doing that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention what happened in, like, say, June 4th, I believe, in 1983. I believe it was what we used to call a live event. Now we call... Now I think it's a live event either way. Anyway, house show is what we call it today. And a house show... They did the promoters in the NWA, the Crockett promotion, the, um, all the promoters in the NWA outside of Vince McMahon Sr. and a few others that voted for Ric Flair to be heavyweight champion first time, they did not have the confidence in him to be a long-term champion. So they took uh, Harley Race, um... And on June 3rd, they... By the way, Harley Race was already champion six times. So they had Ric Flair drop the title to him. So... Um... Because he was a... Because he was a good draw, uh, Ric Flair, they spent from June until August or September building up the first ever... Starcade pay-per-view, and, and, uh, they did the, um, I mean, I spoke about this before, but I don't remember speaking about it on, um, on, here on Patreon, so that's why I'm doing this. Thought I'd start off from the beginning, cause, pay, because, Pay-per-views are what is what the um, is what the discussion is supposed to be about. Um, so let me just start right here. Um, it was around this time when the feud between uh, the between the Briscoes and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Had already started, but instead of the instead of the brisk 
the Briscoes being the tag team champions, the NWA tag team champions, I believe, it was Steamboat and Youngblood. So they had to eventually answer, they had to eventually find a way to defend the titles against the Briscoes, and the Briscoes defeated them for the titles. So, time went on, months went by, they became number one contenders and became the challengers for, uh, for the Briscoes tag team titles. Um, also for Starcade, they, to make it spectacular and really unforgettable, they also started around this time, Greg Nemmer Valentine's feud with, with, uh, Roddy Piper. And to make it spectacular, somebody in real life said to Piper, I want you to get a, uh, dog collar and I want you and Greg Valentine to wrestle in it. Because it was something people had never seen before. They had seen the original Texas Bull Rope match where it was whoever gets the first pin, whoever gets the first pinfall wins the match. But this was like, this was different. This is different in every aspect. Because before you had to drag your opponent with a bull rope with one part tied around your wrist. Whereas this, you had to, you had, um, to have the dog collar strapped around your neck like the dogs do. And you had to pull them and they had to pull you back and forth until one of you found a way to beat them. So, really an interesting match. It was very horrific the way it happened. Which I'm going to talk about that, uh... Also, and also the, uh, the great Kabuki was the TV champion. He eventually went against, um, the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, and Jimmy Valiant, people who don't know who he is, he was, um, one of the most charismatic men you'll find, along with Dusty Rhodes, and that's why they call him Boogie Woogie Man because he would he would dance all the time and he was very uh, colorful, very entertaining, hilarious to be honest with you. And, well, I saw one video, one match of his on the Classic Superstars of Wrestling DVD. He went against Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. And when Eddie Gilbert took a chair in the ring and he took it from him, he set the uh, the chair down. He stood on top of it just with his antics and everything. It was just hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah. He, law he ended up leaving. He ended up losing a three-month uh, loser leaves town match. And just like in Mid-South, he came, just like in Mid-South, when Junkyard Dog put on a mask after he lost a loser release town match for three months. Three months. Where he had to leave and never show up for three months. Just like he showed up with a mask and called himself Stagger Lee. That's what Jimmy Valiant did. He put on a mask and he called himself Charlie Brown. 
And also you had, um, some other matches that were filler matches. Um, let's go to the pay-per-view section of the network. to the Starcade section. Let's go all the way to the first one. Um this is this has audio so I'm gonna have to put it on mute. Put it on mute so y'all wouldn't, um, so y'all wouldn't hear anything outside of, um, me talking. Okay, this is what I always said I wanted to do. Said, let me say that. Said that when I do this, I said when I want to do this, I would do like a commentator and I would do play by play and just really, because I, I didn't think anybody else did that. So I was just trying my best. I hope y'all enjoy the way I do this. By the way, this is on a... This is going to be on um, Apple Podcasts. So if you don't want to pay anything to listen to this, you can just listen to it for free on the Apple Podcast app. Okay, starts out, by the way, uh, the, the Mid-Atlantic show I, I had seen from 1983... They show that Bugsy McGraw had hurt his knee, or that some people had hurt his knee in a sneak, in a unfair assault. There were being one against him, it was three or four, and they decided to hurt his knee, sent a message or something. Well, he teamed up with uh, Rufus R. Jones, which I believe was a good friend and taxi partner. Uh, Mr. USA Tony Atlas. They teamed up with each other to go against the assassins. The interesting thing is, they didn't. You didn't know which one was which because they had similar body types, and the masters made them both look alike. So you didn't know which one was one and which one was two. So. You just call them one and two. But I wish they would still do today. And they may do this in some companies, but you never see this on the WWE. That they 
But I used to always check the tights to see if, um, if the rustlers were carrying any illegal objects. And my brother once thought that because Jim Duggan would take out a roll of tape, of tape and hit his opponent, said that was illegal, but that is not, that's not one of them. So really, to be honest with you, the only thing I could think of them looking for, yeah, you sh they would have needed to look by the knee pads, because I actually saw Ric Flair do this once in the WWE, and that was the only thing I could think of them check uh, hiding would be brass knucks, and unless the brass knucks are paper, made out of paper, you can't hide them in the tights. So, the only place I would, uh, I would think of searching myself would be the knee pads. Because that's where the, that's where the regular brass knucks would fit. Okay, Bugsy McGraw's putting his hands over his eyes like it's a binocular. I'm not sure what he was doing. Okay, Gordon Sullivan's doing the commentary, probably with, uh... I actually forgot his name, but uh, Tony Schiavone mentioned him in his podcast once where he said that before, he would rather, if he goes in the Hall of Fame, he would rather see uh, this commentator go before him. Bob Cottle, that's what it was. Thank you for calling the comment. I think the commentary team were Bob Cottle and... Uh, um, Jim Ross's hero, um, Gordon Soley. And the referee turns around and goes check the masked assassins. He's about, yeah, he didn't even have to tell the manager to get out of the ring. He started getting out of the ring before they rang the bell. Bugsy McGraw starts the match. Yeah, I always wondered why it looked like his knee was hurt. So, obviously it was a real injury and it wasn't acting. But, of course, we know that the injury didn't come on purpose. Because if you did anything on purpose, you would not last long in that business. Let's see. First Masked Assassin... They go for a lockup. Bugsy McGraw, the Master Assassin. Side headlock by the Assassin. Irish Whip by Bugsy McGraw gets knocked down. Alexis Assassin runs and then gets uh, thrown with a hip toss. McGraw misses the elbow drop and so does Master Assassin. He gets picked up by Bugsy McGraw and body slam. For some reason, Bugsy McGraw wanted to unmask the assassin. So he started unlacing the mask and the assassin rolled out of the ring. Paul Jones, that's the manager. Paul Jones is having a consultation with him. But 
uh, I believe one of them switch places with the other. But of course, I'm probably mistaken. As a matter of fact, I am. The Master Assassin, the legal Master Assassin, got back in the ring. So you can see he was straightening out his, uh, his masks, you know, to make it to where it'd be hard to take his mask off. Now let's see. Irish Whip? No. Lock up. I don't know why I keep on saying Irish Whip. It is an Irish Whip, but not in the middle of the ring. Lock up. Into the ropes again. This time a knee to the gut of Bugsy McGraw. This time an Irish Whip. Misses the chop. He gets hit with an elbow by Bugsy McGraw. Once again, back to the mask. Then they start hitting each other rights and lefts. Bugsy McGraw's getting better of the situation. Assassin falls down. And Bugsy McGraw is spinning around in circles. I I don't know if he'd be entertaining or he was losing his mind, but he, he did look funny. And the first masked assassin tags in as tag team partner. And I believe the second assassin is Jody Hamilton, uh, the real-life father of referee Nick Patrick. He's getting a, advice from the manager, Paul Jones. Okay, about to lock up again. Let's see. Side headlock by the second assassin, Irish Whip. Shoulder block takes down Bugsy McGraw, runs right into Bugsy McGraw. That looked more like a, like a throwing power slam. Then another hip toss to the second assassin, or the first, or the first hip toss to the second assassin, or the second hip toss of the night. Tags in Rufusaro Jones, a couple of thrusts, then two right, right and left at the same time. A couple of rights and an elbow knocks down the second assassin, then a right hand, and an Irish whip coming up. Ooh, right hand into the gut. Falls down, hooks the leg. One, two, kick out. The, the cameraman, I I don't know what happened, but he lost his, uh, he lost where he was at, so he had to come back with the camera. He showed them ending up already. Side, head, side hip toss by Rubisar Jones. He's got him in a wrist lock with him on the ground. Puts his foot over the assassin's face. I think he almost like raked his eyes with his foot. Put his knee into the either the tricep or the underarm area. Stands up and Rubisar Jones has such a hard head that when the second assassin hit him with the right hand, he was like, ooh, that hurts. <laughs> So he's shaking his hand to get the get the feeling back in his hand. And a headbutt to the bicep of the masked assassin and tags in Bugsy McGraw. Hand wrist lock. Right hand. Right hand. 
into their corner tags and the other assassin out of that with a couple of right hands to the illegal assassin then uh then an elbow to the head of the legal assassin you can see Paul Jones fussing them about how to take this guy down something to that effect Wrestlock this time to Bugsy McGraw who turns it to get him weakened or weaker in the uh probably the rotator cuff see McGraw looks like he's about to go for a right hand the referee was trying to tell him not to so let's see what he does, oh, gives him an elbow on the head a couple of times, gets out of it into a wrist lock, tags back in Rufus R. Jones, right hand, close to the rotator cuff, goes in with the wrist lock, see what Master Assassin does, headbutt to the bicep, hold on to the wrist lock. Right hand, or to that. No, the right hand, yeah. Once again to the forehead. Headbutt to the, by a couple of times to the bicep. By Rufus R. Jones. Let's see. It's such a long time since I saw this video. I actually, uh, I remember the wins and everything, but I don't remember the in-between moments, so that's why I love doing this. Let's see. Give him a right hand. Right, couple of right, I mean, two right, rights and lefts a couple of times. Knocks out, knocks down the assassin. See what, uh, Rufus does next. Right hand. So the assassin in the corner two times. Irish web coming up. Ooh. It takes his time. He looks over to Bugsy. Almost like, what should we do next? Or what should I do next? And the assassin is begging off. Doesn't do any good. He stomps him in the gut. Referee's telling him back off. And that's when assassin comes to his feet. I think he got a... Not sure what he got, but he rakes his eye with it. Um, and it's in his sleeve somewhere. Puts it back in his wrist, rakes his eye again. Tags in, um, master, the other assassin. Hits Rubisar Jones in the back with, like, a form, and in comes second assassin. Eye rakes, actually rakes both of his eyes. With both hands. Right hand to the face. Right hand to the face. And. more he does this. The more fired up. Roof of Sarah Jones is getting. He's on his knees. So headbutts. The masked assassin in his. Stomach. He crawls to the. 
to his corner, tags and bugs him McGraw. Right to left and elbow. By the way, the other assassin made a tag. So it gets to his corner, tags in other assassin. Two, three, four, five lefts, flings, right hand. Elbow, right. Then I come elbow to the legal assassin, right Right hand to the illegal assassin, and in comes Rufus R. Jones, and they both start fighting with the assassins. Ends up going for the old-fashioned atomic drop on the knee. Gets him. Irish whip to the assassin, tags in as a, as a partner. Bags with Bugsy McGraw, backflips the... The guy who just made the tag. Then the legal guy comes in. Roll up. One, two, three. The assassins win. Okay. Gordon Soley acknowledges that that is a... Uh, Disappointing situation for McGraw and Jones. He said, knowing the assassins and watching them compete over the years, I am not surprised. He said, they are clever, they are devious, and they are extremely powerful. And that's when Bob said, right you are. Fans, I'm Bob Cottle, along with Gordon Soley. He said how delighted they are to bring them action wherever they are. But, um, and he said, and this time it's in Greensboro, North Carolina, which, you got Greensboro, North Carolina, you got Greenville, South Carolina. You might even have a Greenville, North Carolina that I don't know about. But I believe that those are, from both North and South, those are two of the most popular cities in both the Carolinas north and south that I hear of in the in wrestling so that's why this is so fun because you not only get not only do I get to um, talk about pay-per-views and the TV shows on talk about the wrestling TV shows on automatic and the pay-per-views here on uh on Patreon, but it's also, um, fun that, uh, I get to look at the videos, let me say that, by doing these things, it's fun to see all the, or to hear the stories from that time about all the cities they went to throughout the week. So, that's what I look forward to doing on, on Automatic while I am building up to the next pay-per-view here on uh, Patreon. Okay. I will do a few notes. I will do several episodes of, uh, 
on Potomatic about what started the uh, the storylines heading in into this. But uh, I'm glad to see that I glad to do this episode because I love talking about pay-per-views. They said that they were in Greensboro, North Carolina for Starcade 83. Because they had been not only watching it, but commentating, you know, calling the action in it for so long. He said, we've been, we've been seeing wrestling for a long time, and the fans around the world have seen you from Superstation 17. This is the wrestling event of all time. That's when he said to Bob Cuddle, no doubt about that. Let me just say this. The Starcade 83, it is the flair for the gold. There's no question about it. World Heavyweight Championship on the line tonight. Two-time World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair going back against seven times World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race. And of course, one other man, only man standing between them during their championship careers is here tonight going to challenge the winner, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And I believe the special guest referee for the main event was a former heavyweight champion in his own right, Gene Koneski. Okay. That's when, Gor- that's when Bob said, Gordon, I tell you, we have some other people around around us. Let's them want them to see. And they they actually cut to the camera before Tony was given the directive to talk. Tony Schiavone, that is. Right behind him, you can see Ric Flair talking. I believe it's to, um... Actually, this is why I love looking at the old videos, because I really don't know who this guy is. It could have been Angelo Mosca. Or it could have been, um, Chief Holden McDaniel. Well, that's what's interesting about this. Tony said, thank you very much. And we are here in the dressing room. And here comes Charlie Brown walking past him with his mask on and his clothes on. He said, this is Tony Schiavone. And we are going to give a unique view tonight during Starcade 83's. Something you've probably never seen before in professional wrestling. I'm here in the dressing room between each and every... Or I'll be going to the dressing room between each and every match. We'll be talking to some of the winners. We'll be talking to some of the losers. We'll be talking of... Uh, talking to the people involved in Starcade 83. Around that time, I think Ricky Steamboat walked in. Uh, shakes hand with, hands with Ric Flair and right behind him is his tag team partner Jay Youngwood. And Tony Schiavone was mentioning all all the people that just came pa- came behind him. He said, as you can see right now behind me, some of the wrestlers are here. They're all excited. They've been here for a while. They're talking about the events coming up. Of course, it will all culminate with the world's championship match between Ric Flair and Harley Race. Flair for the gold. We'll be here. We'll be over talking to Harley Race. 
we'll talk to Ric Flair moments before they go into the ring tonight to ask them how they feel about Starcade 83, about the night that they waited for such a long time. By the way, it's actually, I believe it's Roddy Piper talking to Ric Flair because he was actually turning around about, about that time. And the only person that looks like that and doing that would be Roddy Piper. Because he always looked crazy. <laughs> he said, we hope you'll join us. Hope you'll be with us. We'll talk to some of the wrestlers and you'll get the unique view that you've never seen before in professional wrestling. We are just about ready for the second match to begin. This time we go to the voice of the Greensboro Coliseum. And the ring announcer, here's Tom Miller. By the way, uh, the reason I like, another reason I like this, excuse me, or this time period is because, you know, I grew up watching videos, you know, like most people did when I was growing up. And every video I would see, Roddy Piper was usually the, quote, Heel. Well, and that's why this is such an interesting time period, because he was the babyface. And it's an interesting time period, because even though the matches I saw him, one match in particular I saw of him, even though he was the babyface, you didn't know if he was going to act like a babyface, because he was, you know... Right, Pipe. You know, it was it's too easy sometimes for him to go from bad guy to good guy. No, good guy to bad guy. Excuse me. Because you didn't know what to expect from him. But it was still good. It was still good to see him wrestle. Anyway, that's what's interesting about this. Because I... The only time I saw him as babyface was... When he came into WCW, and he right away went against Hollywood Hogan and the NWO. Then he was joined by Ric Flair. Then he ended up going against Ric Flair. Then he ended up joining Ric Flair toward, like, say, 1999. So that was the only time I could really remember seeing him as a heel in WCW. It was about 1998 or 99. Okay. Go back to the pay-per-view itself. Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a tag team match. One fall with a 45-minute time limit. And you have... Um, Mark Lewin, I believe, and Kevin Sullivan. Against Dennis Weaver and somebody with the last name of I believe. But fast forward that Okay Glad I'm saying this Because some of these things I need to read out loud Because otherwise I don't know their names Let's see The corner to his left um, Somebody from Indianapolis, Indiana 237 pounds And that's Johnny Weaver 
Everybody was cheering for him, of course. In those days, you had you things were still traditional, so you knew it was good and bad. His tag team partner was, was from Florida, 216 pounds. Scott McGee. It's not McGore, it's McGee. Okay. Then, first from Boston, Massachusetts, with uh, Gary Hart in their corner. First person is from Boston, Massachusetts, Kevin Sullivan, who is weighed in at 230 pounds. Crowd is cheering. His team partner, accompanied by uh, Gary Hart, so it's his manager, not, uh, not Kevin Sullivan. So, okay. His name is Mark Lewin. And they say Johnny Sonny Fargo was the referee. Looking at him, he could have been a could have been brother to brother or father to Jackie Fargo from the Tennessee days. Or they just happened to resemble each other. He's telling them to stay in their corner and wait for the bell. Pause for the bell. Start moving around the ring. Lock up and Kevin Sullivan. And uh, uh, let me see. Johnny we Dennis Weaver, that's what it is. Vince Weaver did a couple of runnings over the back of uh, Kevin Sullivan when Kevin Sullivan jumped down on the mat. Then a leapfrog. Then a drop kick knocks down Kevin Sullivan. Two drop kicks. Then, okay, so it's uh, Scott McGee. That's who it was. So Kevin Sullivan tags in. Um, Mark Lewin. Okay. Lock up between the two of them. Ducks the chop. It gets chopped to the back of his head, but doesn't seem too effective. Tags in Kevin Sullivan back in. McGee gets out of the side headlock. He's in his corner talking to his partner. Uh, gets to lock up with Kevin Sullivan. Tags and his partner. Johnny Weaver made the tag. Right head lock to Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan goes with the Irish whip. Chris Cross. When it looked like he was about to hit Sullivan with the right hand, Sullivan holds on to the ropes. Ends up tagging in Mark Lewin. Looks like he's going for a test of strength, or at least looks like he wants to. The uh, wrist, side wrist lock. Gets out of it with the wrist lock of his own. 
elbow a few times across the uh, rotator cuff, tags it back in Scott McGee. If that turns the wrist lock of his own, Scott McGee. Scott McGee gets out of it. Goes for another, um, not really sure what he was going for, but they go for a lockup and he, he went and he trapped it in some type of, uh, lock where he could, he tagged in Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan came in, Snapmare tagged down, starts working on the shoulder, right hand and the wrist lock, stomp into the, uh, or kick into the, Stomach area. Tags back in Mark Lewin. Chop over the rotator cuff a couple of times. Does Mark. Keeps the rotator cuff steady. In position. Another chop. Another chop. Tags in Kevin. Comes in with a high knee to the rotator cuff. The arm bar. That's COVID. He goes with the knee and against it. Make it hard. Then a right hand over it. Tags back in Mark Lewin. Right hand. Then chop. So it goes for here. Mm -hmm. Like a bow and arrow submission. And Scott looks like he's about to stand up. like he's taunting the Scott McGee's partner by letting him get close so that Kevin can draw the referee in so the referee can't see the tag that was made. Go to the crowd and when they go back to the ring the referee is getting Weaver out. He's getting Weaver out of there. While they do a legal double team on McGee. Arm bar. But he had to bring. Mike Kevin Sullivan. But he had to bring. Mark Lewin back in there. So they could. Tag it. So they could do the legal tag in front of the referee. Right hand. Scott McGee. But. Two Scott. By Scott McGee a few times. Finally headbutt by Kevin Sullivan. Might not have been such a good idea. Because. He almost fell. Kevin Sullivan did. Tags in Mark Lewin. Does a back rake. He holds on to the neck. Looks like a choke. I mean, looked like he could have choked him, but he could have been squeezing down hard, trying to get him to submit. But all that is doing is crawling, trying to get to the ropes, most probably. in Kevin Sullivan because he pulled Scott into his corner. Let's see. Scott this time blocks the right, blocks his head from going into the turnbuckle by putting his foot in the middle turnbuckle and he puts Kevin Sullivan's head into the face into the turnbuckle. 
Turns around, tags in his partner. In comes Johnny Weaver. Goes for a bulldog to Kevin Sullivan. Gets a form of a cover to saved by uh, Mark Lewin through the ropes. Goes for another bulldog. Gets thrown into the turnbuckle. I think they're about to get counted out. No, it's qualified. He gets back in his corner, tags himself in, then goes back after um, Johnny. Tags back in Kevin Sullivan after doing what he believed he needed to do. Starts working on him. Holding on the wrist lock by stomping on him a little bit. Then he tags back in Mark Lewis. Start working on the show, the uh, rotator cuff to or the sock together. He holds on to the shoulder. Bam! As Mark Lewin comes off the top rope, he hits the rotator cuff with a high knee. Goes for a cover. If he doesn't see it, one, two, three. They win the match. They don't stop there. Johnny Weaver makes a mistake going after them. Drop, drop kicks the manager. This is too badly into seeds. I'm gonna fast forward through, through it. I got. I believe today's day and age we would call this reversing of the decision. So they have to bring Johnny Weaver to the back. I believe carry him to the back literally. The ref next match, and the next as the referee runs into the ring for the next match, they go to the uh to Coddle and um the Gordon Soli. Talking about how uncalled for that was, which it was. Yes, why in the world would they want to go to that degree and punishing him like that? He's and. Gordon Soli said, I particularly don't, don't know, especially with that object. And then he said, or Gor or that's what Bob Cottle said, and Gordon said, well, that's the thing. Of course, Gary Hart, and this is part of his background, he's always been a very, very devious but very clever manager. The thing that was so uncalled for is that they had the victory that this was unnecessary to continue to attack a young fellow like Scott McGee. Thank heavens that Angelo Mosca was there, even though he received a severe laceration on his arm. He was still capable of ridding the ring, if you will. And he, he was good. He said that they're the prettiest thing they'll ever see. Is the person they're about to introduce us too, and that's what we would call a correspondent or a backstage interviewer named Barbara Clary. And she was interviewing a fat, um, a, an entire family went out, went there to see the event, and he said, 
We drove about 180 miles. He said, yes, and it was worth it. said, who do you think is going to win? And I think they all said Ric Flair. And the young, bo young boy said... The young boy even chose Ric Flair. He said, there you got... There you got it. That's the opinion of the Estes family. Now to Tony Schiavone in the dressing room. And next was Tony Schiavone talking Carly Race. Who was, I think it's Gerald Briscoe. I'm not sure the guy next to him is. It might have been, yeah, it's Greg Valentine. Sitting next to him. And... Gerald's twin brother, Jack, is actually sitting in a chair alongside, uh, Harley Race. Let's see what, let me sit, let me read what Tony Schiavone has to say. Of course, you know this man, seven times world heavyweight champion, Harley Race. And Mr. Race, sure on Thanksgiving Day, the last place wanted to be was Greensboro, North Carolina. But you're here right now, and I'm sure the fans are interested and some of your thoughts. And actually, I remember this interview. Harley Race, uh, I'm hoping he only said this because he is the bad guy. He said, on any given day, Greensboro, North Carolina is the last place I want to be. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said... Facing the situation that I gotta face tonight. This is the last place I'd rather be if, on any given day if I had to face this situation. But I've been sitting around here talking with a few of my friends that are knowledgeable about Ric Flair. They know his shortcomings, they have been around him for a number of months now. I'm getting a little bit of insight on what has been happening to Ric Flair on the last few weeks. Please believe me tonight. Blair, I know what your shortcomings are. I know what, where you're hurt. And I'm going to go... I'm going after each and every one of those spots. He said, there you have it, friend. Hear it. Hear it, friends, Tony says. For seven times, world heavyweight champion, Harley Race. Man who says that he is ready. To go to the ring... Ring announcer's already ready with his notes for what the next match is. I believe this is the TV title match. Actually, it's Abdullah the Butcher versus Carlos Colon. He said our next event of the evening... One fall match with a 60-minute time limit. And he introduced first in the corner to his left. He weighed in at 226 pounds, Carlos Colon. And his opponent from Sudan, at four, weighing in at 400 pounds, is Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher. But always, about two years before this, he, the first time they showed him, he was actually, I think he was, uh, helping Roddy Piper against, 
Chief Wahoo McDaniel, and that was the first time they showed him with that violent weapon. So that's the main reason I um, can't really... I could start talking about this match, but I don't think I can do the full match. Anyway, to start off with the lockup, gets Abdullah gets uh, Carlos in the corner. One, two, three, four. He actually has to pull Abdullah away from the corner, or away from Carlos as giving him a right hand. Another right hand. Headbutt this time to Carlos. Another right hand. Starts choking him, so another five count on Alistair. Got him to the three count. And every time he gets to three, he stops, he pulls. This time, pulls Carlos away with the right hand and the headbutt. Carlos comes back with a forearm. Headbutt. Then our right hand to Carlos. Irish whip. Clotheslines. Carlos. Elbow drop. Comes for a cut. One, two, kick out. Hmm. It's to his feet first, does Abdullah. Hmm. Right hand. Ooh. He's working on him against the ropes. Headbutt as to Carlos as Carlos gets to his feet in a right hand. Forearm from uh, from Carlos. Then another forearm. Another forearm. Get him. Getting, getting him on the ropes. Then a right hand into the corner. Another right hand. Gets officially in the corner. Another forearm. I think he went for a... Break across the steps and stomach. See. Right hand. Gotta pull away from him or he'll get disqualified. Now he took... Ooh. That's what I was afraid of. Took that weapon out and started... Uh, jabbing him with it. The referee gets knocked out. Starts working on the knee of Abdullah the Butcher. Puts him in a figure four. At the end of the match. Yeah. Out in comes Paul Jones with an illy with a foreign object. Wax Carlos with it on the head. He saves it in his pocket. Dula Bitch makes the cover. Two, three. In comes Paul Jones. Check on his man. Picks up his head. And to signify you one. In the back they show, even though Angelo Mosca did have bandits put over his uh, bicep and elbow, you still see the blood stain on it. So he's going to be asked something by Tony Giovanni. So the fans were in the dressing, back in the dressing room, and really. This is an unpleasant 
present site here. Angelo, you got the World's Tag Team Championship match. You're supposed to be a referee yet. The question is now, can you referee the match? If I had one arm, I would referee this match. But boy, do I saw what I saw there, the night paraphrasing, of course, almost brought tears to my eyes. Saw that crimson red, and it reminded me of a 21-year-old boy called my son. Mark Lewin, I felt wrath of the spike. Spike. That's all I did was get my Latin blood in an uproar. Because when I was carrying that younger, young 21-year-old boy back to the dressing room, I said, there's no place in the NWA of professional wrestling for these acts. I've done a, a lot of nasty acts in my time, but I've never been a malicious man. I have humanity and heart. For youth, that youth is what makes our professional wrestling go. So I leave you with these words. Just remember, blood is thicker than water. Lewin. Well, you heard it from Angelo Mascot, and he is very upset. You'll see, Scott McGee is in not in any good shape at all right now. Angelo, one quick question before we go to Barbara Clary. World Championship match between Flair and Race. Oh, you're upset. Thoughts about that one. I've worked out with Ric Flair many, many times. Never seen a man that's more ready. Has the attitude and the aptitude to be world champion. I know Harley Race is a tough individual. But I know, and I think in my own heart, Ric Flair will prevail. Let's go to Barbara Clearing. Clary uh, Greensboro Coliseum. Here with Annie and Jean who came from Raleigh, North, South Carolina. Is it worth the drop? Yes, ma'am. Every minute of it. We'll go to wrestling matches a lot. Who's your favorite wrestler? Charlie Brown, Ric Flair. And who do you expect to win the big match? Ric Flair, Ric Flair. That's like the second group of people to say that. So Barbara Clary said, it looks like everybody's pulling for Ric Flair. It'll be interesting to see who wins the match. Well, let's get let's go to Tom Miller. Next event, next match is one fall tag team match with a forty-five minute time limit. This has to be a Slade, Dick Slater, and Cowboy Bob Wharton Jr. match because. One's got a cowboy hat on with, uh, chaps on, and, uh, I forgot what she called that kind of vest. He said, to their left, in the state of Oklahoma, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, who, sta who weighed 260 pounds. And Martin White. And... Jay Youngblood's younger brother, Mark Youngblood, was teaming up with Robert McDaniel, who weighed 230 pounds, did Mark Youngblood.
their opponents. They, they're making this official. It's Dick Slater, Bob Orton Jr. Dick Slater was from Florida, weighed 235 pounds. Bob Orton Jr., I think, was from um, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, and he weighed 238 pounds. And referee Tommy Young is the referee for this match. So tries to tries to get teams to settle down first. Off comes the um, the chaps by Bob Orton Jr. He hands it to the person in the ring, pulls up his uh, knee pads and whatever else he had to do with his boots. Then I believe, okay, they call for the bell yet. See who decides to start the match for the babyface team. Well, let's see what happens here. Let's see. Okay, it's Will McDaniel that starts the match. Lock up, and they're already in the corner. Dick Slater turns him around in the corner. Tommy Young has to go in the middle. Let's see if he breaks the rules. He can't even break them apart. Chops from both sides. Gets Dick Slater in his corner. Irish whips him into the corner. Goes over to Bob, Bob Orton Jr. Like we got one over on. Gets back in the ring. Backs off of Wahoo after what just happened. Lock up. See what he goes for. Actually, it looked like he was going for almost an arm bar. But quickly, um, Chief Wahoo gets out of it, throws him over with a hip toss. Or an arm ringer. See. Is it almost like a wrist lock and tags in Mark Young, but leg drop over the arm. Ooh. And it hits him with almost like a. Yeah. He takes his arms like it's a bat and hits him across the, the labrum. I think is how to say it. Then he goes into an arm bar. Now looking at this angle of the ring, I'm amazed that they didn't have somebody mop up the ring so nobody would get, uh, so nobody would get contaminated with the blood from earlier in the night. Let's see, Mark gets into the ropes by, D by Dick Slater, throwing off with an Irish whip, but ducks the chop, picks up, um, Dick Slater, throws him with the body. Slam. Okay. 
uh, double leg takedown into a jackknife cover to kick out by Mark. Tight headlock into a hammerlock and done by Dick Slater and Mark goes into a hammerlock of his own. Slater's trying to see how to get out of it. Gonna go for the old-fashioned slip or trip. Finally gets it. Gets pushed. Um. Gets pushed by Mark's foot. Goes over the top rope. Is asking for a disqualification to be shown. Claiming that that's throwing him over the top rope, even though he held on to the rope. Referee's asking him if he did it on purpose or not. So when he said no, he said no, I'm not not disqualifying him. You gotta, gotta continue this match. Yeah, they, they explained it that the best way. His momentum of his body is what carried Dick Slater over. It wasn't, it wasn't put, getting pushed by the foot of Mark Youngwood. It's a great, uh, great point to make. At the center of the ring, they're still they're trying to see what to do next, or at least Slater is. Could be going for a test of strength, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Turns into a wrist slot. Could be going brush leg sweep. Cover to kick out. Grabs uh, Mark Youngblood from Facelock Tags and Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. Runs to the ropes, comes back. High knee into close to the ribs. Mark Youngblood picks him up, probably for a backbreaker. Picks him up. High elevation in that. Ooh, into his knee. Throws him down. I was fussing to the referee about what just happened, or almost like, come on, you gotta, gotta fuss him for the attitude he had and how he threw him to the, threw him to the mat. As he was getting back in his corner, the uh, Bob Orton Jr. went for a snapmare on Mark. He goes across the corner. Ooh, elbow drop. Misses the elbow drop. Goes out, gets out of the ring. I believe that he was going for. I believe he's trying to outsmart uh, Mark Youngblood. But Mark Youngblood ends up hitting him with a hip toss anyway. Nick Slater tags himself in. This might be 
going past an hour here. Um, this might to to call everything from beginning to end might take too long for some people. So after I finish calling this match, I'm gonna talk about the ending of the rest of the matches. Okay. Okay. They lock up. Side headlock. Uh, to Bill, to Bob Orton Jr. No. Side headlock. Gotta rewind that. Okay, good. Try where I need it. Lock up. Bob Orton Jr. gets a side headlock on Mark Youngblood. Mark Youngblood gets him off with an Irish whip and a crisscross. He gets picked after Dick Slater makes the tag. Bob Orton Jr. picks up, catches Mark Youngblood and he picks him up for a backbreaker. Here comes Dick Slater with an elbow. Right, clearly cleanly on Mark Youngblood, or he's close to clean. He turns around like, uh, I guess Eddie Guerrero got the idea from Dick Slater, I don't know. Put his foot across, put his foot on his head and then he turns around over his face. And I used to see Eddie Guerrero do that all the time when I was a kid. So he might have gotten the idea from Dick Slater. Left hand to Mark two or three times. The right hand knocks down Mark. Let's see. Some up. Mm. I really forgot. I believe he might call that a gut wrench suplex. I think he kicked out of that. Yeah, too. At the two count. Throws him outside of the rings so that Lauren Jr. can can uh, fault him. Referee made a big mistake by fussing at Bobby McDaniel instead of fussing at uh, Bob Orton Jr. first. See what happens. Ooh, that's Mark Youngblood back over the steel barricade days before guardrail so I don't know what to call this what to call what the fans sat behind all I know is that guardrails and barricades uh, are a lot bet it's a lot easier to keep fans from from getting through or breaking through you, you see, when people do jump over, it's people that are trained. It's not the fans. I think it's, uh, it's a good thing. And I'm not alone because former pro wrestler Nick Bockwinkle said, told Vince McMahon himself how it was smart that instead of using guardrails, he did the barricade the way he did. Because it makes it even harder for the fans 
to get through to try to hit the audience. To try to hit the wrestlers. In comes Bob Orton Jr. Starting to work on Mark Youngblood by going against his neck like a, yeah, with a rear chin lock. At first it just looked like pulling his, his head back to try to get a submission, but now it's a rear chin lock. Gets to his feet, Mark Youngblood gets out of it, hitting him a couple of times with an elbow. But he ends up running into a big boot by Bob Warren Jr. Neat. No, it's a stomp. Or, a, yeah. Stomp or a rake over the eyes. To, uh, to Mark Youngblood. Goes for a sleeper hold of sorts. Okay, tags in. Big Slater gets thrown off by Mark. Slater comes in and they stop Mark from getting to his corner. Mark gets hit with the headbutt by Dick Slater. Irish flip to Dick to Mark Youngblood by Dick Slater. Elbow to him. To Mark Youngblood knocks him down. Goes for a vertical suplex it looks like to Mark Youngblood. Gets it. Cover to kick out by Mark Youngblood. He should have hooked the leg. Before that, um, blasted a uh, power driver gets bogged out. He drops. Ooh. Mark went uh, for a shoulder block. Looked like they hit each other in the face instead, knocked each other down. Now they both need a. Uh, both need to get to their partners. Warren Jr. gets a tag. He accidentally pushes Mark into Wahoo and gets uh, he tags him in. Chops everywhere to both Slater and Junior Orton Jr. Wahoo it brings them at the meeting of the minds. Then Irish whip to uh, Bob Orton Jr. right hand or left hand in his gut. Hmm, Tomic drop, Bob Orton Jr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> up, chop, knocks him down. Irish whip. Picks him up, turns around, body slam. That could have been an elbow, let's see. One, two, kick out. On. Now, after the one count, the foot was on the rope, they had to stop the count. Then, with both of his feet, he went for an eye rake with his feet on both eyes. Then, a tag to uh, Slater. And, comes Slater with several stomps to, or kick, no, it is stomps, to Babu McDaniel. Right hand, and then a chop from Wahoo. Then, so it was a chop and right, back and forth. Chop from Wahoo, right from Slater. Chop from Wahoo, right to Slater. Right from Slater. Right hand from Slater. 
Layers almost not down. And side headlock. Belly to back suplex to Al McDaniel. Oh, turns over to one, two, another right hand. Right shoulder up to another right shoulder up. He gets the ropes, so he put his shoulder up. Landing leg drop by Dick Slater to Wahoo McDaniel. Hmm. Tags in Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. They do a double Irish whip to Wahoo. Then, uh, double elbows. Knocks Wahoo McDaniel down. Hmm. Elbow. Over, um,. Wahoo's uh, throat, chest area. I go for a knee drop. Gets it. One, two, kick out. Tag Vindex Slater holds Wahoo, but he gets out of the way. Does Wahoo. And Bobart Jr. gets hit with the elbow, with the elbow instead. Atomic drop to Slater. It's a job for Bart Youngblood a couple of times. He tags himself in. The Irish whip. Double chops. Big drop. Aborton Jr. gives a high knee to knock uh, out of the ring. He gets tagged in by Dick Slater. Headbutt by Dick Slater, Mark Youngblood. Right hand to Mark Youngblood. Drop kick to, to Orton by Youngblood. They show. Cameraman shows a shot of Wahoo outside the floor. On the floor. Drop kick. By Mark Youngblood, both Slater and Orton Jr. Ooh, when he misses this drop kick to Orton, when he makes the cover, where he chokes him. Go for a double suplex. First, put him on top of the turnbuckle. Then, Orton could be going for the for the middle rope um, superplex. Gets it. One, two, three. They beat uh, Youngblood and uh, and McDaniel. That's not over. Daniel still chopping a. Later, and then he eye rakes Bob Orton Jr. Slater comes in, rakes his eye, and go to destroy that arm of his or hurt it really bad. I think they succeeded. So they show in the back, um. Um, 
Tony Schiavone with Ric Flair in the back. This time Ric Flair is wearing a regular t-shirt. He's already dressed to compete. It's some type of, uh, I believe, gym shirt. I'm just not sure what it's saying. Said former heavyweight champion, of course, Rick, and of course Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngwood. He said, "Rick, I've been over in Harley's dressing room. We've been talking to his friends. He says he said he had something prepared, and I was wondering, what do you think of that?" Rick Flair said, "Well, I hope that he is prepared. Match of the of the lifetime. Myself, Steamboat, and Youngwood." We've been sitting here. We know that in a few moments we'll we're gonna climb be climbing into that ring with all of the marbles on the line. Tag teams for themselves and heavyweight title for Flair's case. He said I prepared myself as hard mentally and physically as I can prepare myself. Ready for anything and I wanna take this opportunity in front of all of these Wonderful people that supported us. Where's Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat? All the luck in the world. And, what, and that they've helped me. Then Youngblood said, Tonight is our night, and we'll tell you what, Rick. Worked long and hard for it. Not to not to me, and I know to people that are watching Starcade 83 or the serving World Heavyweight Champion. Know that you've trained with Rick and my... Rick and myself, Rick's Jim, it's taking a toll because proven to everybody around the area exactly what the flair for the gold means. Now, Rick and I have got a match against Jerry and Jack Briscoe. Probably one of the most important matches of our entire life, Rick. Never think of it. This is our most important match. Now... We're going for the goal for an unprecedented fifth time. We are ready, mentally prepared. Without a doubt, Jack and Jill Briscoe, you will see your inevitable end coming soon. Tony Schiavone said that they had some highlights of those matches to show them. They didn't. Edited it out for the network, but they did have Dusty Rhodes in the back with Barbara Clary. But she said, Everybody instinct. Dusty Rhodes, how do you feel? It's a big thrill to be in such a great, such a great town for Flair for the gold, Rick Flair. We're running a little bit of audio problems here. Oh. That's why they don't have uh, the audio the, the worst right way. Because you can't hear it. And they show Dusty's name actually in red colors. They said how Dusty said it all, that, that wrestling history was being made, and that's really what matters.
or what mattered at the time. To just say what happened, Charlie Brown, and I think, okay, Charlie Brown was going up against Greg Kabuki for the TV title, and he was putting his mask on the line against the title. It was a 60-minute time limit, but for the for the first, for the first uh, quarter of that hour, the TV title was on the line, so he pinned Kabuki at I believe it was eight minutes to win back the TV title. Uh, Gary Hart could not believe it, so he jumped in the ring. And he threw his jacket down like, what just happened here? The next match was Roddy Piper versus Greg Vammer Valentine in a doll collar match. Remember, uh, he pulled all, pulled Rick, Roddy Piper, Roddy Piper pulled Ricky Steamboat off of the ring, ring ropes. With the chain, he hit him with the chain, then he wrapped the chain around his legs to pin him for the victory. What I really remember were two things. Right Piper in the back saying to Greg saying to Greg Valentine, pointing to the ear that was damaged in the match. Is that the best you can do? Got one more ear to go. And I'm not exaggerating. He did damage his ear because he, because when he was, because they asked, because when, uh, Piper was talking about it, he said, what, what did you say? I still have that hearing in this ear because of that match. So, yeah, imagine how severe that was. Oh, I can see what the, what the gym shirt is. It's Body Mechanics. Ric Flair still had that shirt on. That was probably the gym he would train at. He said, Tony was telling him, he said, of course, I was in Harley Race's dressing room. He was in there, Slater, Slater Orton, and Ronald McDaniel. By the way, that's what really set up this match right here. Harley Race set up the $25,000 bounty on Ric Flair's uh, head to put him out of wrestling. They went after his neck, tried to re-injure it and put him out of wrestling. At one point he actually said he was considering retiring. But I think about a week or two later, he returned with the neck brace on and he had one of those small uh, baseball bats that was made of metal, silver. The color was silver, but it was still hard enough. So you know that that was just to show how serious the situation was. That ended up setting up match right here. It's just a big deal. Right here, while McDaniel was sitting right next to him. Um, while Tony was talking to him. Tony said, he said, while McDaniel is also with them. Of course, and he said, Saw what they did to Wahoo, seemed like they were pretty happy about it. Said, well, they should be happy for the moment, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day, the day after that, not gonna be very happy at all. 
whatever they've done to Lofu, we don't know the extent of his injury yet. Gonna have to face up to it in the ne very near future. As far as Harley Race, I want you to get in that ring and I want you to do everything in the world to keep me winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Because that's the kind of match I expect out of you. You are a heck of a man. I'll never take that away from you, Race. But I'm ready, and thanks to Wahoo, and thanks to Steamboat, and thanks to Youngblood, I'm prepared. Wahoo played a major part in getting me where I am today. I want Wahoo to know that in the near future, he needs anything from me at any time. He can count on me. And then he looks in the camera and says, Race, count the moments, brother. Where you're gonna get in that cage, you're not gonna Norton and Slater just have Rick Flair contend with. Then Tony asked Wahoo about it. And Wahoo, this man's ready. Well, you know, I know he's ready, Tony, and I'm glad you paid me a compliment, compliment by saying that I got him ready for this and helped him. But the man that had to come to me, because I wrestled against him, I wrestled with him. Been in the ring with him, I've been jogging down the road when it was hard to run. We were sore, tired. Orton and Slater was trying to take over. We are trying to hurt him again, but he got here. He's here for the flare for the gold, brother. I'll tell you one thing. I'll bet all of my money on Ric Flair. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see history made right here in North Carolina. The World Heavyweight Championship belt coming right back to Charlotte. There, and I guarantee you, I'm behind you 100%. Then they go back down the ringside. This time, Don Kernodal, in a suit, is talking to Barbara Clary. And she Oh, because the tag titles are about to be on the line, she talks to Don Kernodal, a former tag team champion himself. Sergeant Slaughter. She said, Do you think the Briscoes are gonna keep their belt? I'll tell you one, and the Briscoes, a great brother tag team, but Steamboat and Youngblood are a great team. Russell them both, a great night. I'd like to wish them all good luck, and I'd like to see a great match. Well, the last match, who do you think is gonna win that one? Flair's in shape. I've been friends with Flair. I'd like to see Flair take that title. Right here in Greensboro tonight. Okay. Double chops to, uh, to Jack Briscoe. This is at the end of the match. Ricky Steam Rick Steamboat gets tagged in by Jack. Jay Briscoe gets picked up by Ricky Steamboat and he kick drop kicks straight drop kicks um Jack um Briscoe accidentally re restarted that part of the match, let's see. Looks like a thrust to Jack Briscoe by Ricky Steamboat. 
Ricky Steamboat tags and Mark Youngblood. Uh, the old fashioned body slam that when you turn them around, oh, a full turnaround, and then he picks up um, Mark and uh, throws him on top of Jack Briscoe for the three count. They get the titles. They win back the titles. By the way, they these titles they won, they just brought them back recently and they put them on a believe um in Ring of Honor the two thirds of Villain Enterprises, PCO and uh Brody, I forgot Brody's last name. All I know is that he's known as the uh, bounty hunter, Brody King. That's who it is. The brought the revived those titles, same graphic and everything, same design, and made them the champion. Doug Dillinger was actually part of the camera crew. At this time, he eventually became real life and character head of security for WCW. An interesting time to look at. Ric Flair, I never thought, I never knew Ric Flair to ever connect this move, but he ended up connecting the top rope uh, by Ross Body Press. On Harley Race to win the title. Everybody was running in there to hug him and to congratulate him. Even his first wife, uh, Leslie, ran in there to congratulate him. And it meant so much to him that he actually mentioned um, Charlie Brown's real name, Jimmy Valiant. So that set the tone for the next um, year of pay-per-view of the for the pay-per-view, and I uh, hope the people who hear this enjoy um, what I talk about. And uh, I'm trying to trying to think of the best thing to talk about on uh, my automatic um, page because I just spoke about um, Jim, one of Jim Ross's new topics was in your house beware of dog and I actually I don't know what I was thinking. I was going to talk about that and then talk about what Jim Ross had to say about it, but I don't remember what he had to say. So I'm going to have to... So what I'm going to have to do is think about, okay... 
What do I really want to talk about? You know... Oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about... I want to talk about the, the, the first year or the first few months of the NWO's reign. And I want to, uh, want to keep it as much about, um, WCW as I can because of how dark, um, WWF had gotten. But of course, I do want us to talk a lot about the WWF. So right now, I'll just, on uh, Potomatic, I'll talk about, um, the begin. I already did do this before, but never on Potomatic. So I'll talk about... The formation of the NWO, the, uh, and how, how they came about and what happened after they were formed and everything. So thank you and goodbye.